Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. There is a story for everyone here because every story matters. Welcome, everyone, to the Storybooks. This is the place to be if you are a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, and if you want to grow abundantly. My name is Jay Phantom, and I believe it's my purpose to help you realize your worth and become the greatest and best version of you possible. I am grateful that you're here today. Now, let's journey into the Storybooks together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. I love a good underdog story. I also love leadership lessons. And today I'm delighted to welcome John U. Bacon to the story box. Now, for those of you that don't know who he is, John uh, is a New York Times bestselling author of multiple books, including Bo's Lasting Lessons, The Legendary Coach Teaches the Timeless Fundamentals of Leadership, Three and Out, uh, Fourth and Long, uh, End Zone. Uh, John Saunders playing Hurt and the great uh, Halifax Explosion. Uh, now, for those of you that uh, need to know more about him, he has written for Time, the New York Times, and ESPN Magazine, among many other publications, including National Honors. He has authored uh, seven national bestsellers on sport, uh, business, health, and history. And John teaches at the University of Michigan, and he's a popular public speaker. He also lives in Ann Arbor. Now, he's got a brand new book out called Let Them Lead, Unexpected Leadership uh, Lessons from America's Worst High School Hockey Team. Uh, And it's available now, so you can go and get a copy of it. It's available anywhere books are sold. But John delivers an uplifting leadership book drawn from his own experience, transforming the nation's worst high school hockey team into one of the best. Uh, John's strategy is straightforward, set high expectations, make them accountable to each other and inspire them all to lead their team. When John played for the Ann Arbor Huron High School River Rats, uh, he never scored a goal, yet somehow years later he found himself leading this alma mater's downtrodden program. How bad? The team hadn't won a game in over a year, making them the nation's worst squad, a fact they celebrated with all Almost everyone expecting more failure, John made it special to play for Huron uh, by making it hard, which inspired the players to excel. Then he defied uh, conventional wisdom again by putting the players in charge of team discipline, goal setting, and even decision making. And it worked. In just three seasons, the River Rats 
bypassed 95% of the nation's team. It's a true story filled with unforgettable characters, stories, and lessons that apply to organizations everywhere. Let Them Lead includes the leaders' mistakes and the reactions of the players who have since achieved great success as leaders themselves. Let Them Lead is a fast-paced, feel-good book that leaders of all kinds can embrace to motivate their teams to work harder, uh, work together and take responsibility for their own success. And one of the things that I really, really love about this book is if you go to the back of the book, he actually includes the names of all those people that were part of the River Rats hockey team when John was actually leading them. And I don't think I've ever seen a book, you can correct me if I'm wrong, that has actually honored those players by including their names. I've seen it on films, but haven't really seen it in books. And I read a lot of books. So uh, that's one of the things I respect uh, the most, I guess, out of John is that the fact that he was willing to give credit where credit is actually due. And that is a sign of an effective leader, one that actually gives rather than takes. He's selfless rather than selfish. And I think you guys are going to really, really love John. And I mean, the guy stayed up until 12 a.m. his time to to be on the show. I don't know how he did it, but I mean, it was honestly an incredible conversation. One of my all-time favorites, to be honest with you, on leadership and, and just in general, uh, listening to his incredible stories. He's a great storyteller, and I know you guys are going to get a lot out of it. So if you do, please share it around to your friends and family. Let everyone know about this one. Also, go and get a copy of his book help support John and the Huron River Rats as well by buying a copy of the book. I mean, I've read the, the first couple of chapters so far and absolutely love it. It is a fun read and it is fast-paced and I love a good fast-paced book too, but one that you can take away incredible lessons too. So uh, it's available anywhere books are sold. All the links are in the show notes below. So really do appreciate each and every one of you that keep coming back and, and help supporting my guests, but also the story box too, because that's what it's really about. So my friends, you know what time it is. It is time to journey with me into this story box as we listen, learn and grow from the incredible wisdom, the advice and the stories from none other than John U. Bacon. That works just fine, Jay. Thank you very much. Good to be uh, talking to my buddy down under. We're on the exact opposite side of the world right now. Well, it's great to be connecting with you. I believe you're in a cottage all the way over in Michigan. That's that's honestly Check incredible. And it's- I'm in northern Michigan right now. My wife's putting my son to bed. So where I'd normally be in either the little office or the front room, uh, they're all taken. So here I am. And I think this country bought it like a month ago. It's the previous owner's grandmother's makeup room. So how you doing, Jay? Well, there you go. <laughs> Doesn't matter where you do the interview. Make it happen. Make it happen. Make it happen. Yeah, that's it, right? That's it. Uh, but it's honestly a real pleasure and an honor to be speaking with yourself uh, today. Um, and I, I've been looking forward to this conversation ever since I found out about the fact that we would be connecting today and speaking about it. Leadership is a topic and a, a, one of my favorite conversations, honestly, to have with people. And I think you're one of the experts about it. Um, firstly, my, my very first question, sorry, I should say to you is what does success look like for you? That's a great question. And in the first few pages of the book, I tackled the simple fact that I could not, and in business, they so often ask for this, you know, okay, what are the metrics necessary to say that you've succeeded? Uh, what does a plan look like? Blah, 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 blah. 
And I admit it right out. I cannot tell you how many wins this high school hockey team would have to have for me to be successful. How many all state players, um, how many playoff victories, how many rivals we had to beat and blah, blah, blah. But I did know, and this is what I think works in business. Also, the people I know in business, academia, nonprofits, um, medicine and so on, who really, and I'm including you in this too, Jay, you got a following obviously, but the people who really succeed don't necessarily put a number to it. It's like, I know what it's going to look like and I know what it's going to feel like. And when I get there, I'll, we'll have done it. And what I wanted was a team that was confident, well-prepared, hardworking, uh, but truly cohesive, uh, that punched above its weight class, if you will, that beat teams that shouldn't beat. And, you know, and, and footy down there and everything else, you know what that looks like. Go Collingwood, by the way. How about that one? <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, working class. How about that? But uh, um, that's what I wanted. I wanted a family feeling. And if we got that going, then the rest will be details. We're, I mean, we use these numbers to get where we're going, but it, was, it could never be the means in itself. What I definitely did not want is to lead a win at all cost program. Because my point about that is if you're doing a business like that or anything else or your team, your class, to win at all costs, if you lose, what do you have? And the answer is nothing. So you have to be able to play the game and pursue your work in a way that even if you come short once in a while, you can still walk out of there with your head held high, knowing that you followed your principles and you stuck together and it's still worth doing. So success for me was a feeling that we have an indestructible team that will win more games than it should. And, and you don't want to play us. That's what I wanted. This is a story literally of true underdogs. And uh, to, say the least. <laughs> to say the least, yeah, the, the worst hockey team that literally beat people that they should never have beaten. And I love underdog stories, honestly. They're so inspirational. And it kind of got me motivated to just like not give up in my own life. Um, and, and leadership or being able to coach these young kids to actually win what do you think it actually takes to win? Uh, not just a game, but honestly, life in general. Uh, as corny as it sounds, Jay, you have to believe in yourself and you have to believe in each other. And that's very simple, but it's hard to do. Um, the team I took over, a little background here for your, your viewers. Uh, the team I took over is Ann Arbor, Michigan, here on high school. And I realize in Australia and in Europe, of course, High school sports are not a big deal, but they're a very big deal here in the United States. So think of your top travel team in soccer. It's the same idea, basically. Yeah. Um, this team in 2000 that I took it over, uh, their record was 0-22-3. And for you non-sports fans out there, the zero is where the wins go. So that's not very good. <laughs> and there's some website called uh, usahockey.com that ranks all the teams around the nation, which is crazy. We don't play all the teams around the nation, let alone our own state. But uh, they ranked them all. And out of almost a thousand teams, Ann Arbor Huron ranked dead last. Now, this is a point of pride with me. They had teams from California ahead of us. Like, hey, man, we have snow and ice here. This is what we do. And they got, you know, the surfer boys were ahead of us. This is rather insulting, <laughs> to say the least. And then what happens next, Jay, they hire yours truly, uh, who happens to be the worst player in school history. This is not false modesty. I can prove this empirically. I still hold the record all these years later for the most games in a Huron uniform 86, I played on the team for three straight years, never missed a game, always dressed, always played, and the fewest goals, zero. That's very hard to do, and yeah, I played forward, by the way, so this is really not, I mean, this is not good. So the coach with no goals is going to play, is going to lead the team with no wins, worse in America. So yeah, 
this is the combination we need. So what do you do? You seek out mentors. And I sought out a lot of mentors. Know what you don't know. Get all the help you can. Swallow your pride. As my father said when I took over the team, uh, well, John, when you're on the floor, you cannot fall out of bed. Well, thanks, Dad. That's <laughs> not exactly a motivational speech. When I asked Al Clark, my mentor at Culver Academies in Indiana, he's been the nation's best coach for a number of years. I coached with him for a little while. And I said, okay, what do I do? And he said, you have to make it special to play for Huron. And the best way to make it special is to make it hard. And that was the exact opposite advice that everybody else was telling me about how this generation is soft, they're lazy, they're selfish, blah, 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 blah. This team in particular, zero, 22, and three. And he said the opposite. Forget all the fancy sweatsuits and the cool buses and all this. No. One week after school gets out, get in the weight room, get on the track and see who wants it and keep going and go with them. And he was right. We did that instead. And I expected at least half these guys to quit because this is the least motivated team in America, right? Not one player quit. And we all threw up on the track at some point or other. I did too. So did our assistant coach, Mike Lapridge, the hero of the story in many ways. Um, and by the end of the summer, we were a different team. We hadn't won a game yet. Uh, but on one famous day when the, here in Michigan, it's raining cats and dogs in the summer. Then the sun comes out. It's 92 degrees Fahrenheit. That's about, what, 30, 31, I think, Celsius. A hot day, hotter than hell. Steam starts coming up off the track. And we have the field, football, our football, goalposts at the end of the track. And I said, gentlemen, can you see the goalposts? And you can't. The air is wiggly. It's so damn hot. And I know it gets that hot in the outback and so on in Australia. It's, it's one of those kind of days. And they said, no, we can't see it. I said, that's right. It's the hottest damn day of the year. It's the hottest hour of the hottest day. And we are lucky to be here at this moment. It's not going to prove how tough we are. When I don't see our opponents out here, I don't see the rivals out here. I see us out here. And we're going to set every record we have. We're not going to complain about this. You know, the toughest guys in the world, the Navy SEALs and so on, those guys, they don't complain about the weather. They brag about it. And they said, yeah, yeah, yeah. But one kid, a sophomore, one of the younger players, he grumbled something. And then my captain, Mike Henrys, one of the heroes of the book also, phenomenal captain. He turned to the kid and says, hey, you play for Huron and it's harder over here. And I said, yes, that's it. We embrace the hard. That's, that's what we brag about. Yeah, it's hard. Of course it's hard. Let's make it a little harder. And before we played a game, we were already a different team. And I thank the captains for that. Mm. Well, I was, I was smiling the entire time you were sharing that because it's, it's an amazing story. Um, and one, one thing I want to give my audience a little bit of context first before we dive even further in is why in the world did you decide to take this job in the first place? And secondly, <laughs> why did they offer it to you? Uh, Two good questions without good answers, but I'll do my best. <laughs> Jay, you're asking all the right questions. Uh, it made no sense for me to want to do this. Uh, in the United States at a high school level, you get paid $5,000, which is not much. Uh, it's, you should make that in a month and a normal job, basically. Um, yeah, <laughs> but uh, I was making about that before. $5,000 a month for the whole year you, for four month season, but you got to work with these guys all summer and all fall. You get paid nothing for that. There's no prestige that attaches to it. The pre, three previous coaches had all been fired. It's the graveyard of coaches. It's a lot of time, a lot of effort. And, you know, you know, parents and, you know, sending you emails, you know, Dan Amber news, you get blown up on the paper. There are a lot of reasons not to do this and almost no reason to do it. 
But due to my unsatisfying high school hockey career, I wanted them to have what I didn't. I wanted them to have this sense of unity, the sense of purpose, the sense of belonging. Um, I wanted to save the program because they're talking about killing it and with no wins in a year and a half. Um, and I wanted them to have an experience they would remember the rest of their lives. Earlier you asked, what is success? That's really it. And I knew that our team ending banquet at the end of each year, the seniors during their speeches were not crying, then I had blown it. That's my final exam, not the playoffs. I want to win. I expect to turn it around. I'm competitive. All those things. Guilty as charged. But the senior banquet, you want to know what success looks like? If they're not doing this, their final words, then we blew it. So that's why I wanted to do it. Why did they want me to do it? They didn't. <laughs> the, uh, the, it came down to me and another candidate with more experience. I'd never been a head coach before. I never, uh, not in hockey. Um, and, uh, it came down to a final vote of the six person panel, four votes for that candidate and two for me. Now your math is correct. Same math in Australia as we have here, uh, for you lose. Right. Uh, but my two, the two guys voting for me, one parent who knew me and the trainer of the team, which here's an athletic trainer tapes you up. Not that, not the team coach. Um, they, they would not take no for an answer. So they just kept hammering the four people until finally one of them flipped their vote. So it's a 3-3 tie. And the principal, who knew very little about me and even less about hockey, he picked me, Lord knows why, probably because I went to the high school. Um, so they picked me. And when they picked me, who voted against me? The other parent, um, the athletic director secretary, the captain of the team, I just who's Mike Henry, whom I love the guy. We're now great friends. Um, but he had voted against me as well. The parents were quite ticked off that somebody like me got the job. Um, so I'm going into this with not many friends. And how did that make you feel? Like you don't really have that much support going behind you, going into this new job. I mean, it's $5,000 for everything. You don't really, like I, I personally, nah. <laughs> like what? Well, you're what, smart, Jay. I can't yeah. blame you. <laughs> but, what, what kept you there though? Like, was it because you wanted to give these kids something that you didn't have or was there something deeper in there for you? Like, cause you, you went into this without any really much support at all. So what kept you there that whole time? Um, great questions, Jay. Really great questions. You're, you're not even half my age and you're doing a phenomenal job. I've been interviewed <laughs> by a lot of folks, so you're doing a great job. Um, and you're making me think too, damn it. I've already written the book. <laughs> this answers pretty readily. Uh, but you're, we're going to be on the surface here. Um, I would say a few things. Uh, one, not much support initially, basically none uh, mm -hmm. going in. Not from the players, not from the parents, not really anybody. Um, but once we started meeting three days a week, every week for workouts, and I knew their names like that, and I'm working as hard as they are. Um, for a team that had basically been forgotten, for players who felt like losers, uh, who've been called losers um, around the school and elsewhere uh, to have somebody who believes in you and who's driving you and who tells you on day one that you are going to be the hardest working high school hockey team in the state of Michigan. And then we were. Um, and that one day, not this year, but one day we are going to win a state title. And I believed it. Um, that's kind of crazy. And this is where I think your generation gets a bad rap. It's not you know, pay and promotions that drive you guys, I think. And so people say, oh, they're lazy. And this, no, you're not. You're just motivated by different things. These guys expect a calling. They expect a sense of mission, a sense of purpose, 
a sense of belonging that most jobs, frankly, don't provide. Well, if all you're offering is a paycheck and somebody offers more, they're going to leave. So you better offer more than that. If you want real loyalty, you better be loyal to them and engage them right away. And I knew them right away and I cared about them. And we had great assistant coaches, including Mike Lapp, which I mentioned. Um, we had four or five guys. Man, these guys had played in Sweden. They played top level university hockey in the United States. They're all better players than I was. Chapter four is called Make Sure You're the Dumbest Guy in the Room. Yeah. And I was. Uh, the coach's room, it wasn't even close. Uh, know what you don't know. And Warren Buffett, the famous billionaire, said that if you're the smartest guy in the room, you're in the wrong room. And <laughs> I lived that. So these guys came down at first as a favor to me, but they stayed to answer your other question. They stayed because the players were so compelling. These were amazing guys. They'd been dumped on by everybody. They didn't have any confidence. Um, but they were wonderful guys, wonderful kids. And now they're adults. They're 35 or so. And now we're great friends. Um, but that's what draws you down. So that's what keeps you going. And when you start to see progress, you start to see, you know, some confidence build. There's nothing more intoxicating than that. And as much as I would have liked to have scored a goal myself and turned my 86 games in three years on the damn team. And by the way, it actually is a family record for not scoring a goal. My brother shares it with me. He played it here and also, but it must be, he likes to point out that he played goalie, but Hey, well, Jay, we all got excuses, man. We all got excuses. So. That's right. So anyway, <laughs> as much exactly as much as I would have loved to have scored a goal uh, in my three years, and yes, I do think about that once in a while. Uh, when one of your players scores their first goal, and I made a big deal out of it, we'd save the puck, we'd write in the puck, we'd have a ceremony afterwards. Every player on our team, I made sure scored a goal before they graduated, um, and we put out you know the two stars with you know player hadn't scored, scored in the last three seconds of his career. It's a story about that in the book. Um, that stuff feels wonderful. So whatever I, what I would have liked for myself, it was so much better to see it for them. Mm -hmm. And, and why was I so drawn to this? I was 35 years old. I'd put in four very good years at the Detroit news, which is then the sixth or seventh biggest paper in the United States. I write in sports features covering the Nagano Olympics in Japan, covering the world cup in Japan also in 2000, I think it was. Um, so yeah, having a great time and all this. But everything I was doing was about myself. I was still single, no kids. Um, there's an old rock and roll song by the group called Yes. I don't surround yourself with, the, with yourself. And I kind of felt that I'd done that. I needed more. So in, in a real sense, this was a need for me, not just them. Um, and we fulfilled it with each other. It was, it was an experience to remember. I want to come back to the culture in, in just a moment, but I want to sort of ask you about your most vulnerable moments in in your life was it actually being the coach for this team or was there something else in your life that sort of was more vulnerable than this great question um i'd start with eighth grade because who the hell is not vulnerable in eighth grade <laughs> a little rockier for me than most perhaps but i got it sorted out eventually um the most vulnerable it probably was coaching this team actually uh, when it's at the Detroit news, you're still a little scared and your work is out there and people can send you nasty letters and it's a public performance, as you know, from your podcast. I mean, anybody can get on Twitter now and back then anyone can write you a letter. There's um, no hiding. There's no hiding. Uh, but this was more vulnerable because I was doing this in front of everybody I knew in town, town I grew up in. Um, there I knew that <laughs> I'd not been a good high school player. I'd gotten better as a beer league player as an adult. Um, but to fail at that publicly would have hurt a lot more than to fail at uh, the Detroit News, for example. And if you fail here, it's not just you. You bring down 30 players with you. 
mm. bring down your school with you. Uh, and one of my teacher friends joked that there are only two high schools in town. Uh, when you beat Pioneer, which is where Ken Burns, the documentary filmmaker, went, uh, Bob Seger, the rock and roller you might have heard of, uh, when you, and Iggy Pop, how about that one? I went to their school and nobody went to my school. <laughs> so if you lose to the, if you beat Pioneer on the front page of the Ann Arbor News, what a big deal that is. I go, yeah. If we lose to Pioneer, we're also on the front page of the Ann Arbor News and get hammered accordingly. And you, and you walk around the street for a month and you're ripped. Um, I mean, soccer fans, footy fans in Australia, I know I like that. Um, so as far as being vulnerable goes, I was more exposed to criticism that would really hurt me, um, in this job than I ever was as a reporter, which is saying something because that work, I mean, I've written for Time Magazine, ESPN and others. I was not half as vulnerable as I was coaching this team. So very good question. Did you have any idea of what real leadership was or even how to coach before stepping into this role? Did you like go to people and ask them for advice or like? I did. Yeah. I'd read a lot of books on it. Not that I was reading them for that reason. I'd also keep in mind, I'm a sports writer. So I wrote a lot about coaches. I've been writing about leadership by teams that work, teams that don't work. You start figuring out what works and what doesn't. I didn't mention my great mentor, Al Clark at Culver Academies, who still has the record for the most wins in high school hockey in the United States. Um, Produced a lot of pro players, college players, and so on. Great guy, Phi Beta Kappa math major, very smart. Um, so I relied on him a lot. Uh, Red Berenson, the coach at the University of Michigan. Um, Herb Brooks, he's the guy featured in Miracle movie with Kurt Russell. It's a hockey movie, so yeah, not sure how well it did under, but yeah, exactly. Um, he, he and I were friends due to my reporting, so I would call him for advice, and he gave it to me. So I had these people to draw on, but what I really had was a great assistant coaches, and eventually what I had also was great seniors. I consulted with them all the time. Um, so we'll call layers of leadership. If it's me versus the team, you're screwed. It's not going to work. It's got to be me with the coaches, with the seniors, with, I mean, we're, we're leading everybody. Everybody's leading everybody. And that worked out very well. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but I, I don't be afraid to ask for help. When I hear, see a know-it-all coach, know-it-all leader, know-it-all business person, I think right away, that guy is headed for trouble. Okay? And he's going to find it because you're going to hit a bump. You hit a bump, who's going to help you? Yeah. They're not already helping you. They're not going to help you now, probably. Yeah, my grandfather used to say to me, if you don't ask, you don't get, so don't be afraid to ask. It doesn't matter what it is. There's no stupid question unless you don't ask one. Like, That's right. That was, that grandfather was, was right. The old thing from restaurants, if you don't put in your order, you ain't going to get served. Yep. <laughs> There's another one, another good one. And then, there you go. Stuff. The, the idea of um, someone when I first started doing this, I had a conversation with him and he was uh, one of the top cops here in here in New South Wales. And wow. he actually said to me, he's like, Jay, everyone is a leader. The choice is whether or not you want to be a good one or bad one. So I like <laughs> how you mentioned the layers of leadership there because everyone on the team, whether you like it or not, is leading. But are you leading in a good way? So mm-hmm. my question to you is, what do you think is a good leader or a leader that actually um, shows up for people in, in the right kind of way? I'll answer this question. Great question. And again, we had layers of leadership. I led, assistant coaches led, captains, seniors, and then on down. Really only the freshmen didn't know what they're doing. And everyone else was, everyone else was, you know, I had to do third year. I had to do very little. They all know what they're doing. Um, mm-hmm. And they know whom to ask, not just me. 
Uh, I, would, I would flip it back with a very simple question for you. And I bet you can come up with this one very quickly. I bet your grandfather, ask him when you're done here. I can answer this one very quickly. Who was your favorite teacher? My favorite teacher was actually my basketball coach. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So he was, he would kind of play basketball coach and, and my volleyball coach. So both of them, both of them combined. Great. So, uh, what were the names? So one of them was Ryan Shea and the other one was Glenn Pine. So I, I still, yeah. And were they also your, your teachers also, but all, only your coaches or also your teachers? They're also my teachers. So Glenn Pine, my volleyball coach was my science teacher. He helped me get through science. And then uh, Ryan Shea was sort of like business and then math. I mm -hmm. failed him in math <laughs> miserably, <laughs> but uh, I did a little bit better on the basketball court and same, yeah. same with volleyball. So yeah, <laughs> they must've done something right. <laughs> yeah. Well, then my next question, uh, was either of those guys easy? They were easy going. Uh, Glenn Pine, he was sort of like, he expected the best from me. So he wanted to get the most out of me. Mm -hmm. So he was a bit, I wouldn't say rougher. He was just like, more adamant that I gave my all every single time I, I stepped on the floor and in training. And then there was a couple of times where he saw that I wasn't giving my all that he would like yell at me, but it wouldn't be like the, the negative yelling. It would be like, Hey, exactly. Jay, get up there. Go. You, you got it. He's like, I don't want to see that ever again. Go <laughs> like, don't give me that attitude. Just, you know, do it. There you so, go. Uh, and let me guess also, they cared about you. Both they cared, yeah, one one hell of a lot. They cared, yeah. They knew your name, obviously. They'd stay after class or practice if they had to, yeah. you asked. Yeah. All those, and you still remember their names, of course. And your dad, by the way, or your grandfather, probably 40, 50 years older than you, um, I bet he can do the same thing. I've asked this question in Vancouver, Canada, in Sao Paulo, Brazil, in Santiago, Chile, in English, Portuguese, and Espanol. And the answer is always the same. And people who are in their 70s, their 20s like you, it's two things. Um, he or she uh, pushed me and cared for me. That's those are the two things. And when I was talking about this, about a hockey coach, a professional hockey coach here in the United States on the radio, the woman I was talking to said, oh, you need to balance those two things. No, you don't balance them. So 100%, I expect more. 100%, I think you can do it. I'm on your side. I'll do everything I can to help you. So that's kind of it. The two philosophies you see these days um, tend to be uh, what we call command and control, my way or the highway, uh, do as I say, et cetera, which I was kind of raised on. My dad certainly was. Your grandfather, I know, was. Uh, Australians aren't messing around. I know that. Mm. Um, so that's the old way. Uh, and the new way, of course, is casual Fridays and Taco Tuesdays and kombucha machines and beanbag chairs and all this. And the problem with these two systems is neither one works because the first guy doesn't care about you and the second guy's got no expectations. So if you've got no expectations and you care about me, okay, you're a nice guy, but I'm not going to remember you. And I, I needed a few easy teachers. We all did, but I don't remember them. Uh, the other guys who are driving you hard, but don't care about you. Those are called jerks yeah. because that wears <laughs> off really fast. And what you need is I care about you so much that I think you can do better. That's what I think you can do. And those are the guys who change your life. Those are the guys you remember the rest of your life. So leadership in a nutshell, you got to care and you got to push. And everything else, honestly, is details. Al Clark is a soft-spoken guy like me. Uh, he says about five words a day, one-third the pace. Um, I've seen some great public speakers, some really bad ones. 
Al before a game would say, well, this would be a good one to win. <laughs> yeah, thanks. <laughs> but he won a thousand games, so I guess it worked. <laughs> so those are your variables. What's not a variable is I have to know you, care about you, and push you. Those mm-hmm. are things that are non-negotiable. So in a leader in a nutshell, that's it. Everything else depends on your occupation, your business, your sport, and so on. And Mr. Shea and uh, Mr. Pine, coach, I guess, you're not going to forget those guys. Trust me. No. And I will say as well, adding on to those, those two men that sort of pushed me and, and got the best from me, I believe, uh, there were other teachers in my vicinity that sort of really, really believed in me because I, I did struggle academically, but they, they pushed me. They, they saw something even when I didn't see something in myself and they just, you know, came alongside of me. And I'm still friends with a lot of them today, believe it or not. So there you go. Like, it's just, if they, if people really do show that they care for you, it leaves a lasting impression. And and I believe that if my grandfather was still alive today, then he would actually agree with you as well. So I appreciate you sharing that. Makes, um, makes a lot of sense and it's very helpful for a lot of people. Thank you. And by the way, your teachers love you for being in touch. It's one of, it's one of the great rewards of teaching and coaching is when they stay in touch. I've so, noticed that. Uh, all you folks <laughs> out there, think about your favorite teacher and give them a call if you can. Mm. Uh, they'll love you for it. Mm. So speaking about changing the culture, so to speak, and how do we go about if someone, if you have like a negative Nancy in the group, so to speak, how do we go about, or even the whole team, so say like that, how do we go about changing the culture so that we're all on the same page? We all want the same thing. Mm-hmm. A few ways. First of all, when I took over, of course, they did not think they're going to win a game the next year either. We lost on a team that did not win a game. We lost our three leading scores and the starting goalie. So it's, it's not looking good and we didn't add anybody. So that's a problem. Um, so their, their hopes are down. But once I start telling them, look, once they start seeing we're doing things that we did not do the year before, you have to give them tangible reasons, not just, I think you can. You got to do that too. And after a while, it starts getting into their heads. But you have to show them something. Yeah. And in that case, I had to show them that, look, no one's worked harder than you in the state. No, here in high school hockey teams ever worked this hard. We know you better after four months of off-season workouts than you knew the previous coaches but during the whole season. You told us this. Right? So we're already more unified. We're already working harder. So you have to believe that, you know, this will create results. And, and you got to, you know, then you have to have faith and you have to have confidence. So those things all figured in, but you have to exhibit these things yourself. If you, and, and, and the big thing here is, if you don't believe, they never will. So you have to believe. From Herb Brooks, I'll get to, get, get to this one later on, perhaps, the 1980 Olympic coach, he said before one of our big games, we're playing the equivalent of the Soviets. First year, of course, we win seven games. That's the most improved team in school history. Seven, 17, and one. So that was good. Second year, we're 16, eight, and two. So we're twice as good as that. Uh, and now we're playing the best team in the state in their building. This team beat us 13 to two. The my first year, uh, this this is not this is not Australian rules football. Sorry, it's not American football. These are becoming ones. <laughs> so thirteen to two, pretty damn ugly. I knew their fight song by the end of the game because they were playing thirteen <laughs> times. So this is this is brutal. And uh, so we're playing them again uh, a year and a half later, end of our second season at their place, regional final. But but now we're pretty good. And I called up Herb Brooks, the guy who pulled off the miracle. And I say, okay, Herb, we're playing the Soviets. We're the Americans. You know, these guys are damn good. 
uh, what do I tell him? And he says, Johnny, this Minnesota accent, Johnny, only tell him this. If you believe anything is possible, if you don't believe nothing is possible, but if you do believe anything is possible, does not guarantee victory, does not guarantee success, but not believing guarantees failure. It's a lottery ticket. Faith is a lottery ticket. You got to believe with that ticket, you have a chance to win. Without that ticket, you can never win. So I told them that and they believed it by then. I believed it. And man, we outplayed the team, believe it or not. We outshot them by a little bit. We lost three to two in their building, but their fans gave my guys a standing ovation. Their captain pulled my guy in. My captain said, you guys should have won this game. That was respect. So, but then we all believed. In the third year, we're 17, four and five, number four in the state, number 53 in the nation. So we passed 950 teams, basically 95% of the nation in three years. So that's how you build it as a team. Now, negative Nancy, you already heard the Mike Henry story, how he turned to the negative Nancy and said, hey, you play for Huron. And it's harder over here. Peer pressure, make it work for you. It's just me and the guys. That gets old fast. They get tired of it. They're going to start undermining you. But a senior, this is a high school of 2,000 students. Mike Henry's cool. He's really popular. You know, the, the girls love him. Everyone knows him in school. And he's on a ninth grader telling him, hey, get your act together. And then you're one of us. Yeah. But if you don't get your act together, you're not one of us. Well, hell, what ninth grader does not want the coolest 12th grader out there? looking out for them. So peer pressure is a great way to close that in. Once you have more than half of them on your side, then the peer pressure will start squeezing out the other ones, basically. And they're, they'll either change their attitudes or they'll leave. Uh, I, I wanted them to change their attitudes, and they did. So there's a great line from an old New York Yankees manager, Casey Stengel, who said, when you're the manager at this level, the whole key is keeping the half of the players who hate you away from the half of the players who are undecided. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love that. And, and some days that's the best you can do. <laughs> yeah. I love how you mentioned um, belief because for a lot of people, believing that you can do something is half the battle. And at least, know, I, honestly, yeah, at least. that yeah. sounds. Yeah. It, it's, but the reason why they say that in the first place or something is cliche is because it's true to begin with. So, you know, no matter how many times you say something, you got to make it stick. <laughs> you got to make it like go in there which kind of is a, a cool segue into your part five of the change your changing the culture, which is towards reduce the rules and make them stick. What did you, what did you really mean by reducing the rules? We had two. Uh, the, the, the problem with, you know, government agencies, businesses and everything else, got a million rules and you got to, it's this, that, the other thing, ah. Man, it's just tempting you to break them. I swear to God. I mean, here I am being this, you know, quasi-authoritarian coach. I'm not really authoritarian, but kind of old school, tough in some ways. Man, I hate rules. And I and I didn't want to, I didn't want to play police officer the whole time, wagging my finger, trying to stop and doing this and that. They didn't want that either, of course. It gets old pretty fast. Um, so we boiled it down to two things that a friend of mine who played professional hockey, he told me his dad told him when he was a kid in Canada. He said, all you got to do is work hard and support your teammates. When I heard that, I thought, that's it. That's all I need. So, and everything else you can think about, you know, being on, being on time, dressing appropriately, blah, 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 blah. It all boils down to those two things, basically. So mm-hmm. I said, only two rules. If you do those two things, I'm happy. And if you don't do those two things, even if we're winning, I'm not happy. So everything else didn't matter. So that first Trenton game I mentioned when we lost 13 to 2. 
Truly, I mean, I went throwing their sticks around, throwing their gloves around. We'd won three games already, so we're pretty excited. But then old times again, getting your butt, basically getting your butt handed to you in a silver platter. That's what that was. And I come in and I said it. You can't lie to these guys. You can't fool them. I said, hey, stop. Stop throwing your stuff around. Sit down. I said, all right, I saw the same thing you saw. We just got our butts handed to us on a silver platter by the best team in the state. Yeah, I saw it too. I can't spin that. I said, but what's the first rule of here on hockey? And they mumble it and they oh, work hard. No, no, no. What, what's it really? You know, we started yelling it back and forth. Okay. I said, okay, did you guys work hard the entire game? And they think about it and then they think, well, actually we did. Said, That's right. You didn't slack off. You didn't coast to the bench. You didn't, even in the third period, down 13 to two, you guys kept coming hard. I said, I respect that. Second rule, support your teammates. We start yelling that. Did you support your teammates the entire game? Did you get mad at the goalie for 13 goals? Did you get mad at the defense? Get mad at the offense for only scoring two goals? They think about it and they said, no, actually we support each other after every goal. And we high-fived after our two goals. Uh, and I said, okay, I asked two things of you before the season. You did both in spades. It will never be harder to follow those two rules and it wasn't it, and you did it. You just, this is your finest hour right now. You walk out of this locker room with your head held high. I'm telling you something else, we're playing those bastards again. <laughs> and it sure as hell will not be 13 to two, I promise you, that's my job. And then of course, it was seven to one, six to two. And finally it was three to two and we played them at their place in the playoffs. Next year, third year, two one goal games. And finally our fourth year, we beat them four to three at their place for the first time in 20 years, I think. Um, but that's how we boil it down. I didn't want to play rule guy. I didn't want to play punishment guy. I don't believe in punishments, believe it or not. I believe in accountability. I believe in consequences. I don't believe in punishment. It's, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm never trying to embarrass you. I don't care about that. The bus leaves at five o'clock because that's when the damn bus leaves. When the airplane leaves on time from Sydney or New South Wales or wherever you're going, right, it's not trying to punish you or make you feel stupid. That's when the plane leaves. <laughs> that's all it is. And my bus leaves at five o'clock. And I told you the bus leaves at five o'clock. And I don't care if you're the starting goalie, or the leading scorer, or anybody else. And we left them all in the bargain lot at some point or other. The <laughs> bus leaves at five o'clock. That's part of work hard. Support your teammates. So once you get that down, a lot of things start going in the right direction. And then they want to do these things themselves. The other thing Al Clark told me is, uh, you know, make it special by making it hard. Once they believe that they had to do something that not very many people would do to be on the team. They feel special about being on that team. And they, with a little guidance, will start enforcing their own culture. So the second year, it's the seniors who told the freshmen what to do. I didn't have to tell them. Um, that's what we wanted is who we are at this point. And, and punishment's a waste of time. Like I said, it's the consequences, yes. Punishment, no. So these are the two philosophies. You follow them, we're okay. And also, it allows you to define yourself. So even though we got our asses handed to us 13 to two, all right, we don't feel like losers. We're winners based on our two rules. That's all that matters. We define ourselves. You don't tell us who we are. We tell ourselves who we are. And that's a vital skill. Anybody succeeds at anything sooner or later has to do that. Has got to define yourself. And these guys did that. And the other point along those lines is you've got to be patient with results if you're a leader, but not patient with behaviors. You mentioned coaches Pine and Shea. Also teachers, I mean, if the team is new and it's not, okay, it's going to be a little rough at first, whether it's basketball or soccer or whatever. Uh, that's got to come. 13 to 2, I got to accept it. You know, we have to get better. But showing up on time, I don't have to accept that. 
You know, we control that. Dressing appropriately, we control that. All this stuff. So those things you hammer home right away. And after a while, they start doing it themselves. And that's that's when it gets fun. I think it's also as well building respect. So you are showing kids how they can respect you more by following your two rules. And if they mm-hmm. don't respect those two rules, then you're not punishing them. It's their choice in the first place not to respect them. So the consequences follow along. So that's what I that's what I've learned with very similar like growing up, like I was never to, I always questioned rules. Like why are they, why are they here in the first place? Yeah. Yeah. Like it's, it's always, always question. They'll be afraid to question them. And if they don't make sense, then why should you follow them? And and secondly, this is one of the things that I I like and what, what, what I've been looking at here in Sydney, Australia currently, if they're not leading from the front, if they're not actually following those rules for themselves, why should we follow them to begin with? So there. (laughs) <laughs> it's um and, and honestly it's that simple yeah uh, everything we're talking about jay is simple none of it's easy but it's all simple and it should be simple and as far as my two rules go the whole thing was okay do you not understand the two rules is it they're too complicated all right can you tell me they don't matter can you tell me that working hard is not a key to success or you know being uh supporting your teammates that's not important either you tell me you, you would not want to play on a team like that that is working hard and does support you. You want to do all those things. And you tell me that this isn't someone else's control. No, it's not the referees, the puck bouncing, the weather, the opponents. We can decide to do these two things every single day, no matter what's going on. Yeah. And as long as we're doing that, we're okay. But that's exactly it. It's about respect. Yeah. Great line from Bull Durham, the old movie with Kevin Costner, American baseball. Yeah. When the manager says to the crazy pitcher, he said, mm-hmm. you don't respect yourself. That's your problem. But you don't respect the game, and that's my problem. And that's how I felt. Uh, that look, you know, you don't show up at five o'clock for the bus. You know, that's your problem. I'll, I'll find another player. Um, but you know what? It's it's bothersome. <laughs> it's, it, when you start respecting yourself enough to show up on time, because yeah. you worked hard all summer, worked hard all fall, and now you're gonna throw it away because you stopped at McDonald's on the way here. That that's gonna be more important to you. It's crazy. You're, you're selling yourself short. You frame it that way, behavior changes. Yeah, yeah, so true. How long were you the the coach for of this team? Uh, four years. Four years, and how how many wins did you have during that period of time? We had fifty four wins. The last three years were the three winningest years in forty some years of here on hockey. Uh, going so, and one of my and my captain, my, my players, by the way, have done great since. One is a higher up at the Department of Homeland Security, which is an important job. Uh, one's a vice president of an IT staffing firm and $2.5 billion firm in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, lawyers, doctors, and they weren't all great students in high school either, but they've gotten better and done quite well. But uh, yeah, those four years made an impact on me and on them. Yeah, you've got in the back of your book all the players' names and the coaches yep. as well, which I thought was just like, hey. that's honorable. Like, I haven't seen that. Uh, usually sure. people like being kept anonymous, but I like how you did that. It just shows oh, like, you. honoring them too. So I had, a, yeah. I had to beg a little bit. The publisher saying, you know, they want the books as small as you can get them and paper costs money and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I, I got 54 players. I got to list them. I want every player to see his name in this book. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm glad you picked up on that. Thank you. Yeah. I, I, I like picking up on things that, because I read a lot of books 
And Clearly. I love, I love, <laughs> yes, <laughs> I love the sports ones in particular. Like, like I was saying in the very beginning, those underdog stories. And what you did different, I noticed you did a lot of things different in this book to begin with, but the very end, you wanted those players by actually naming them. And yeah, if I, if I was one of those players, I'd be like, hand on my heart. Thank you. Like that's, that's something else, you know, like that's, that's special to me and something that I can like share with my hopefully future kids and all that stuff that my name was actually in the book and I'm part of this story. So yeah. Anyway, that's how I looked at it. Yeah. I, I love hearing that. Thank you very much. We have a barbecue every summer at my place. Now my wife and my kids place. I got married late and had a kid even later, but here you go. Uh, <laughs> so they, and they all come, we had 50 people over last time. They all come back. It's great. Um, we feed them, we have beer and pop and everything else there. And then, uh, their kid, I got a six year old kid despite being 57. And, uh, so their kids are older than my kids. They're 35, 36. They get, you know, seven, eight, 10 year old kids. So they come in here, Jay, and they give me parenting advice and I have to take it. <laughs> hey, and I say this unabashedly. I love those guys. Uh, I love them then still love them. And I hope it comes across in the book. Mm. Well, I can't wait to actually officially finish the book. I've skimmed through most of it. So I've loved, I've loved what I've read so far. So where can people get a copy of this book? Uh, I've got a sure. couple more questions for you, but if that's okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. Where can, where can they get the book? I believe it's out September 7th. September 7th is out. You can pre-order it now. And those things help by the way. So thanks. Um, pre-order sales are going pretty well. Um, uh, Amazon is probably the easiest way in Australia, but hopefully some bookstores down there will stock it as well. I do recall in Melbourne when I was down there, I saw a couple of my books in a stack at a bookstore, I said, hell yeah, I got to, I got to Melbourne, Australia. Uh, but Amazon is probably going to be the easiest way. Um, and a little fun fact, um, you might've seen Mighty Ducks, the movie. Yes. Uh, there are three of those movies actually, but uh, the screenwriter there, uh, Jim Bernstein, he and I are working on the screen, screenplay for this, uh, just called The Rats. Um, and his great line about that is, if a sports movie is about sports, it sucks. So, <laughs> it's right. <laughs> I mean, look. I mean, what, what is Rocky? Rocky, yeah, it's a boxing movie. It's, it's an underdog story. Like as you, it's yep. David and Goliath. That's the oldest story around. Uh, Star Wars is not about outer space. Uh, it's you know, it's, it's more basic than that. And this is not about hockey. This is about leadership, about people, conflicts, uh, and caring about each other. I think mm-hmm. as corny as that sounds. I love all that. And I'll make sure that this book goes wild. I can I can already see that it's going to go crazy anyway. So. Good to hear. It's been endorsed by a number of incredible people. One of them, the very first one is Susan Cain. For those people that don't know who she is, she's the bestseller of the book Quiet uh, Mm -hmm. and a number of other coaches and bestselling authors. So you got a very good backing behind you. you got me also backing you as well. Love this message. Uh, John, my two final questions for you. Really, really enjoy this conversation, by the way. Um, What do you love the most about yourself and your story? Hmm. Uh, potentially awkward question. Um, uh, I'd rather not answer that one probably, but Hey, we're on the spot here. Um, that I put my whole heart into what I do, that whatever I'm doing, I go full blast. And as a rule, as you pointed out about hypocrisy, if you're asking your people to work and you're not working, they know it and they'll never work harder than you do. Um, so I put my whole heart into what I do. And the second question was, this is my last, uh, uh, what do you love about yourself and your story? Sorry. 
My story. Uh, I mean, the book or my life story? Your life story. Uh, I don't give up. I, I've enjoyed being the odds many times in the past. My one superpower, Jay, is that I'm always underestimated. I should be called underestimation man. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's a superpower. That, that, that's my lot in life. But, uh, but I've, I've, I've come to embrace it. I love that. I can relate to the never giving up side of things. I mean, even starting this, I was mm -hmm. told that, you know, I was crazy and I actually turned down a high paying job to go and do this where I could have been making a lot of money uh, mm -hmm. and I would have done really, really well at it. But I chose to align myself with my calling, with my purpose, with what I believed in and just giving myself a, a go. And I kind of surprised myself, <laughs> to be honest. And all the people that have believed in me, such as yourself, John, along the way to give me a chance to unbox your story and get to ask these questions. You know, I don't regret any decision that I, that I made. I don't. Yeah. And I love saying I have this, it was my all time favorite saying, be persistent to remain consistent of the things that you want. So I'm, I don't give up and I'm persistent as heck and I won't ever stop. <laughs> so I tell you what, it's, it's, it's already working for you, but you know what? All my friends, including me, who've jumped off the cliff, you know, left a good job, walked out of law school, whatever. Um, they almost always succeed because, because wimps don't do that. <laughs> uh, and you, you jump off the cliff, guess what? You start beating your wings as fast as you can. Um, so I, I want to bet on that guy. I'll take that guy. The, the path of least resistance does not create much. And uh, I love how you mentioned uh, the wings there because my audience will know that I'm, I like to call myself the eagle. So I, I have this, the path of an eagle. And I love saying that in allow failures or allow the losses to give you the wind to make you soar higher than you ever did before. That's my philosophy in life. So I just wanted to say that before I ask you the final question. <laughs> Um, this is my all time favorite question, John. I ask everyone at the end of my conversations, but it's a hypothetical one. So I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you've been able to reach the age of 100. All your friends and your family have decided to put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Don't ask me how in the world they got it all. We'll call it magic for the sake of argument. But they've been able to get it and show it to you on your 100th birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life? That's pretty cool. I got to say that actually the hockey parents and players had a surprise party for me when I stepped down. They kind of did that when I turned 40, actually, but 40 ain't 100. So, uh, but that was a wonderful night, to say the least, a lot of fun. Um, well, it would probably include a lot of profanity because I'm pretty bad that way. <laughs> Can't lie. It's not misogynistic. It's not homophobic. It's not directed at anybody, but uh, it gets a little salty here and there. But anyway, a little PG. Um, I would hope it would show the ability to fight through things, the ability to look at long odds and keep going, uh, the ability to share credit, uh, but yet take blame, um, and ultimately compassion for others. Uh, the only reason to coach is because you care about other people. And if you don't, they know it already yeah. and it's not going to work. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's, here I go again, as corny as this sounds, if you don't love your people, it's not going to work. And, and I love them. And I hope that I hope for all the yelling and barking and the occasional profanity and all the rest, I hope the love for people I work with always comes through. Perfect send off message. John Bacon, thank you so much for your time today, for showing up in the world and for writing this 
book, Let Them Lead. Thank you so much for coming on the Storybox podcast. Jay, my pleasure. You can find out more at Let Them Lead by Bacon.com. I really don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another story. I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guest today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you would like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on all podcast platforms. It is that easy. And if you did get something from today's guest, please do share it around with your friend or family member who you feel could benefit from hearing today's story. And before you go, I greatly appreciate it if you could spend 30 seconds leaving a rating review over on Apple Podcasts. It goes a long way to reaching more people and building this community of the Storybox. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one you heard today. Your support is always greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the story box, I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you then. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.